Picture this. Somewhere on that road. Jesus started on his way. Mark chapter 10. And a man ran up to him, fell on his knees, and says to him, Good teacher. Direct quote here. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, if you grew up in an evangelical church, you're like, this is the question you're waiting for your whole life. Yes, someone actually asked it. And you're like, let me draw you a bridge diagram. Let's just pray this prayer. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And so Jesus, this man just ran up to you. This is, this is the money shot. He just asked you the question, what are you going to say? He's like, why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. Let's talk about the Ten Commandments. You know the one about murder, adultery, don't steal, don't give false testimony, don't defraud, honor your father and mother. Do you know this? And the man's like, teacher, rabbi, like since I was just the littlest kid, I always obeyed those. Those laws have shaped everything in my life. And then there's a line, and a line that I want you to consider. I want you to imagine right now with me this, this rich young ruler on his knees before our Lord. He's begging and pleading. He came to Jesus because he wants answers. He wants something deeper. He wants to inherit eternal life. He wants a deep walk with God. And Jesus, it says, looked at him and loved him. I don't know why, but that one wrecks me every time. And I think it's because because I feel like Jesus has looked at me like this before. This man sincerely wants something deeper with God. Like he's been going through all the right motions for his whole life. He was born in church. He's always followed all the rules, but he knows something's missing. So he comes to Jesus and says, what's missing Jesus looked at him and loved him and said, in love, and there's one thing you lack. Go sell everything you have, every, every last thing you have, and give it away. Then you'll have treasure in heaven, and you can come follow me. And the man's face fell, and he went away sad, because he had great wealth. And it says Jesus then goes back and looks around at his disciples. And there's a few times in scriptures where it doesn't necessarily say that you know, that you know. You can hear the tone of Jesus' voice here, that he loved this man, and this man just chose his possessions over him. And you can hear the disappointment in his voice as he says... How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? And the disciples look at each other like, what just happened? Like, here's this great guy who's done everything right. And their question, and my question, who then can be saved? If money can stop us from finding eternal life, if possessions can stop us from following Jesus, who then can be saved? Let me remind you, you probably already know this, 
but we live in one of the wealthiest counties and the wealthy, one of the wealthiest states and one of the wealthiest countries in the world. That we are out of 3,007 counties, we're ranked number 40 in the United States. That we live in one of the wealthiest counties, the wealthiest county, in a wealthy state, in one of the wealthiest countries in the world, in the wealthiest era of world history ever. We have more freedom, more purchasing power, and more disposable income than any other people in any other place at any other time ever. If you want to reality check this, if you want to see how rich we are, if you want to experience what it's like to just get sick to your stomach over how much money we waste, then you just need to travel. I've had the privilege of traveling both to Malawi and Bulgaria this year. If you want to throw up over our excessive waste while people are dying, man, you just do that. Church, when Jesus is talking to the rich young ruler, he's talking to us. We are the rich young ruler. If possessions can stop us from following Jesus, who then can be saved? Today we're in the middle of a series on uh, how do I make spiritual growth a priority? Right? This, this goes back to, we did a survey in the middle of the summer, and people said, the one thing I really struggle with is like, I, I want to live my life for Christ, I do. Like, I want to read my Bible. Now, I want to share my faith, I want to be generous and full of joy, I want to be compassionate, I want to walk with Christ closely every moment of my life, but somehow I keep drifting away from this. Like, for some reason, my life doesn't match up with my deepest desires. So today, I really want to talk about how do we make spiritual growth a priority? Like, how do we make our lives with Christ a priority? But the problem is, is every time I start this conversation with Jesus, he wants to talk about our money. So today, we're going to go to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, a very famous site right here. Where supposedly Jesus went up on the hillside, sat down, and his disciples came to him. And there's a crowd there. And he begins to teach them about life with God. This is, this is God's law interpreted for, for the people. This is the best, deepest, richest possible way to live. He's going to tell you the heart between ev- behind and underneath and in God's law. Like this is what God wants for your life. And in Matthew chapter 6, in the middle of that, in verse 19, he's going to start talking about this. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Like he looks over the crowd and says, Everything you own right now, like if you just think through all your possessions, everything you love, everything that's dear to you, everything you're working so hard to purchase right now, everything you're working so hard to pay off, because supposedly you own it, but you have this huge debt. Like, think through a couple of those things right now. Do you know where it's going to end up? There. Like, everything you own is going to end up in a giant pile with, with like, old cell phones and diapers. <laughs> everything you treasure right now, those clothes you love, that cell phone you love, that house you love, it's all going to end up in the trash heap or owned by someone else. 
Now, this is not revolutionary. This is Wisdom 101. You don't have to be a Christian or a follower of Jesus to know that this is just the way things are. Like, things that we own, they will not last. So when G- Jenny and I, uh, when we were first married, we lived in Dallas. And uh, Dallas is known for having a little bit of wealth. And we lived in this back house. It's called a cabana. So really nice property. Big, sprawling property. And we lived in the pool house, a cabana. And I was the cabana boy. And our job living on the property was to take care of all the stuff of the property. And we got to live there for free. It was a great deal. Live in this awesome neighborhood. And so we're living there and enjoying it. And, and along the way, we, we discovered some things about this house. This house, when it was first built, the, the woman who owned it, her first husband had been an oil tycoon. And she was an interior decorator. So you put that together, and what you get in a house is amazing. Like, they literally spared no expense. I mean, we, we, you would go in the house, and there were things. There were gold fixtures and silk wall coverings and these exotic landscapes and exotic fish swimming in their fish ponds and light features in the trees and imported tiles and marbles. At one time, this house was actually featured in Better Homes and Gardens. The feature house. But then 25 years came and went. Jenny and I, 25 years after it was featured in Better Homes and Garden, were living in the back house. And we noticed that regularly, like at least once a month, contractors would come knock on the door and ask if she would consider selling the house. You see, in that neighborhood, after 25 years, her house was actually worth more demolished than it was standing At this point, all the contractors came and they wanted to buy it so they could tear it down and build a big new mansion. You see, in 25 years, her house went from being better homes and garden house, the envy of Dallas wealth, to being so dated that the property was actually worth more if they destroyed her house and built something new there. This is the way it is with earthly treasures. Their value is short-lived. And Jesus is looking at us and says, I'm not saying this to be mean. I'm just saying this, this is reality. Like, if you invest in these things, do you know how it's going to turn out? It's going to be sad and dated and in a trash heap somewhere. Like, don't invest your life in that. Don't give the best years of your life, your best ambition and hope and passion and strength. Don't give your life to things that are going to end up there. Don't do it. Verse 20. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. Invest your life, your ambitions, your hopes, your concerns, your passion in things that are eternal. Invest your life in things that cannot be taken away. So use your influence that you have in life to make our world more just and more loving, more like God's kingdom, thy kingdom come. Use your time, your creativity, your passion for God's eternal purposes. Use your money to feed and clothe the poor, to share the gospel, to bring peace and righteousness. Use your home, your car, your stuff to love people in the name of Jesus, that we are to invest our lives in things that are eternal. Now, I want you to notice something here. We're talking about money, but we're not talking about money here. Let's be clear. And I'm not worried about making more money right now. I'm not looking to buy an extra pair of cufflinks or a new car. We're not in a building campaign. In fact, GVF is doing fairly well. I mean, we we have a surplus most months. 
I am not raising money right now. In fact, we have a policy that the elders don't know what people give. Only the treasurer knows. And so we're not going to check up on you and see whether you're giving or not. This is not about your money. If you read through this, you'll see that Jesus doesn't need your money. He's never had something like, man, I wish I could do that, but I'm just out of dough. Ever. Not once. Like he speaks and it creates existence. Do you understand? He doesn't need your money and he doesn't even want your money. What he wants is something so much bigger. Verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He wants your heart. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. And he wants your heart. Now, that sounds good. I think it sounds good. But if I were sitting there on that mountainside and Jesus were there right there, I, I would be tempted, I think, that I might raise my hand right now and say, excuse me, Jesus? I know you're the perfect son of God and all that, but I think you might have made just a small mistake, a slip, slip of the tongue here. I think you actually got that backwards. I think what you meant to say is that for where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. Because you've already taught this all over the place, right? Your, your actions follow your heart, right? That's what, like, if you read through the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, you just, everyone knows this. This is what Jesus teaches. Your actions always follow your heart. What you truly love in your heart is what you're going to pursue, is what you're going to do out there. So, so Jesus, like, like, so when he says um, that whole law about thou shalt not murder, he says don't worry about the murder part. You worry about your heart. That if your heart is right, that if you love your neighbor instead of hating them, then you won't murder them. So it's really about hatred in your heart. Get rid of the hatred in your heart. Fill it with love and you don't have to worry about the action. It's the heart. You start with the heart. Or that whole lust thing, the whole adultery thing. It's not really about adultery. It's about lust in your heart. If you treat other people as objects to be used and disposed of in your heart, then you're going to act it out and it's going to become adultery. Don't worry about the adultery. Worry about your heart. So every other place Jesus talks about this, he says, start with the heart. Worry about the inside, and it'll shape your outside actions. But here, Jesus doesn't make a mistake. He says, start with your treasure. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus is saying, and I want you to hear this. I'm going to give you a picture of this in a second, but I want you to hear this. That treasures generally, and money in particular, has a sway, a pull on our heart, unlike anything else. That what you own in life actually affects your soul. That the treasures you own can actually own you. That the possessions, the money, the debt, the treasures, these have a direct effect over your soul, your inmost being, who you are as a person. That you, it's almost impossible to own things without them affecting you. Let's put it this way. Every dollar you spend, every hour of your life that you invest in that project, every thought that you put into the next deal or purchase, well, it tethers or ties itself to your heart. Can I get a volunteer? Someone's a brave soul. I just need you for about two minutes. Someone, anyone, who's going to come up and, and get all, Yeah, Peter, come on up. Yeah, let's give Peter a hand here. So, so Peter here, we're, we're going to teach him a quick lesson about how money affects their heart. And here's the thing. I owe this to a brilliant man 
now with a lawyer named John Stott in his commentary on Sermon on the Mount. You should read it sometime. It's brilliant. So this British guy pointed this out, that, that this is almost unlike any other relationship we have in life. Like every other thing, you start with the heart, Jesus says, and it works its way out. But in this, you actually start with the outside and it works its way in, that it affects. So this is Peter, and this, my friends, is Peter's heart. Can you hold that for us? And what this right here is Peter's box of treasures. He's got a lot of them. And what, what Jesus is saying here is that in life, as Peter goes through life and he starts collecting things, Peter says, you know what, I really, really need a new cell phone. Like one that has all the apps and all the smart stuff. Like, I mean, what would my life be like if I couldn't instantaneously update everyone at any second? I mean, that would be terrible. Just imagine that. So what I need to do is I need to buy this. And what Jesus is saying is that when he buys that, that every time, every, every payment he makes, every new app he buys, every time he picks it up and feels it and loves it and it vibrates in his pocket and says, you're important. Every time that happens, it, it creates this link, this tie to his heart. It's pulling on it. It's tethering it. But then Peter goes along. You know, I don't know if you guys know, but Peter just got married. And, you know, if he's a good husband, he should buy his wife a new car. I would think a convertible would be ideal. Thank you for that. So, so he's going to buy his wife a new car, and every payment he makes is now going to tether itself to his heart. But, you know, if, if, if he's doing well, he's actually going to have to get a big boy job here. You know, he just graduated from, from college. So, so he's going to go out and he's going to purchase some new clothes. I like my, sh- my shirts extra starched. I don't know about you guys. So, so, so we're going to put that on there and he's going to purchase this. And then as he goes on through life, though, he's going to say, you know, now we've got this apartment and I'm married and I, I got all these new things I need to fill it with. So I'm going to go to the store and I'm going to buy that. And then he goes on and says, you know what? I've done really well for my life and it's about time I get that Lamborghini I've always wanted. And then eventually, if things just keep going well enough, well, it's time to buy the mansion. And of course, any mansion that I own should have a clock tower. Yeah? And so, now this one's, a, there's, there's lots of ample room. Don't worry, you don't have to pay for this immediately. This is a 30-year mortgage. There's lots of space in there. Lots of space in there. So one by one, everything that he purchased, purchases ties itself to his heart. That, that there, you're going to see that that each treasure is another tether pulling his heart with it. And with enough of these, eventually, Peter's going to feel like he's actually tied down in some ways. So here's what happens, though. He's going through life, and everyone looks at him. That's just the way a normal person would actually have about a million more of those, right? If you think through every single tether on your heart right now, every payment you make, everything you own, everything you have to give your thought and time and heart and money and attention and love to in your life right now, all the things you have to juggle, it would be much more complex than this. Now let's say, though, God shows up in your life and says, hey, Peter, I want you to go share the gospel with that man back there. Go. Go. So he can't. Why can't he? Because there's just too many things. To, I, I want to, God. I really want to. But I can't right now. Uh, Peter, we really want you to drop everything and go to China to go talk to orphans and spend time with an, in an orphanage there. Can you do that? He's like, I don't have any other places to hang anything in my life. I can't afford that. Do you know how much it costs to go to China? I can't do that. He, he, he wants to do it. He does. His heart is for God. Sure it is. But it's tied down with a million different tethers. So this is why when Jesus comes through life, 
he looks at Peter and he loves him. He says, this is what I'm here for, man. It, you know, if you're going to follow me, we're going to take this off. And you can't bring your house with you. You can't bring an extra tunic. And you don't get a cell phone, <laughs> nor a car. But now you're free. You're free to follow me wherever I go. Like you're free. We're going to tether your heart in a different direction. It's going to be hooked to God. And wherever he goes, you're going to go. And wherever he steps, you're going to step. And when he gives you an open door, you're going to jump into it. Why? Because you're free. You're free. Thanks, Peter. Let's give Peter a hand. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Don't tie your heart to this world. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. If you're going to be tied to something, tie it to something eternal. Tie it to God. Tie it to his kingdom. And this is what we see when we see Christ come through the world, right? Like he walked in a power and in a freedom that is unbelievable and unbelievably attractive. Because why? Because he was perfectly free. Like there was nothing hanging over his head. There was nothing stopping him from following God at every single moment of his life. Ever. He invested everything in God's kingdom. So he had no need for money. He had no need for a cell phone to make him feel important or connected. He had no need for expensive clothes to make him feel important. He had no need for a house to feel secure. He had no need for savings to know his future. And this is freedom. This is the beauty. This is Christ. And he's looking at us. And he loves us. And he wants us to be free too. But this is a hard conversation. If you notice, when they had the conversation with the rich young ruler, they immediately started talking about the Ten Commandments. And I think I'm doing everything right. I really don't see what's wrong. Something's not clicking, but I don't know what it is. And, and this is part of the conversation that Jesus wants to have with us. When we come to the topics of greed and consumerism, we tend to be blind to its reality in our lives. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now what in the world does this have to do with money? Everything. That the first sign that you are greedy and consumeristic, get this, is that you don't see yourself as greedy and consumeristic. Woohoo! Money makes you blind. It dims the lamp. It clouds the vision. You will be the last person to realize how tied your heart is to possessions. But here's another reality, another reflection on this. It's that you can't just look at your stuff and know for sure whether your treasure is on earth or in heaven. You can't just look at your stuff. Because there are super rich guys, even in the scriptures. Rich, rich guys. Abraham was one of them. Who? held everything with an open hand, and was even willing to sacrifice his own son when God said to, that he could own everything in the world but not be possessed by any of it. So it's possible to be super rich. And there are poor people who are greedy and consumeristic and covetous. That it's not just about the amount of stuff you own either. 
So looks can be deceiving. And let's not forget what we're really talking about here. It's not talking about money. Jesus doesn't need your money. He doesn't want your money. He wants you. But he can't have you if your money already has you. Look at verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Here, I'm waiting to notice the language there. Masters. This is slavery language. This is, this, is, um, this is ownership language. The God and money have this in common. They both tend towards mastery. The, both God and money, they, they're going to compete for your life. Both God and money are going to promise protection and security. God and money are both going to promise value and meaning in life. They're going to promise to give us joy. They're going to promise us life itself. They're going to promise all kinds of things. And in the end, either God or money will rule over you. This is why in Colossians 3, 5, the Apostle Paul, when he goes through a list of sins, listen to this, he says, put to death, therefore. Like if you're a Christian, you're supposed to kill this stuff in your life. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And what is that, Paul? Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, comma, which is idolatry. That for the Apostle Paul, he says, greed is just another form of idolatry. It is putting money in the place of Jesus. It is trusting money to be your God. To do what God alone can do. That money will command you. It will tell you where you should work, where you should live, how you should look. Money will threaten you. You know what you'd be without me? Do you know what will happen if I leave you? And money will make big promises. I'll make you happy. I'll give you that rest, that vacation you really deserve and want. I'll make people like you. I'll make you feel better about yourself. I'll give you what you're really looking for in life. Here's the deal, though. Money is a liar. Who are you going to serve? Who are you going to believe? Jesus doesn't want your money. He wants your heart, but he knows that so long as money and possessions and stuff has your heart, he can't have you. Let's apply this. What do I do to make sure that my heart is not tied down to this world? Because you know where everything in this world is headed? Into the trash heap. Everything. And if you bind yourself to this world, if you bind yourself to money, you will end up in destruction just like everything else. How do we make sure that our heart is free? That we can be like Abraham. We can own things, but own it with an open hand. That we can own things, but, but know that God, ultimately, we can listen to him. We can follow him at every step. And there's only one clear answer, and this is Jesus' advice to the young man. It's this. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. This is the clearest, simplest, and safest way to protect ourselves from greed and consumerism. It is to cut every tie to earthly treasures. And I want you to notice, I'm saying this with absolute seriousness. This is the best and clearest application 
of how a Christian should live because this is Christ's example. He owned nothing. But I have a sense that not many of us are going to go out and do that right now. So what's the option behind door number two? Anyone? Anyone right now looking for a loophole somewhere? I am. I, I am. So let's focus on just one word here that I think we can apply that is more broadly, generally, universally applicable, and it's just the word give. That if you go through the scriptures, you will find that there's an ancient discipline that systematically cuts through our ties to this earth, that reinforces our ties to heavenly treasures, that when we give, with every treasure we give away, with every dollar we sacrificially and selflessly share with others, with every bit of ourselves and our time and our interest and our passion that we use for God's purposes and not our own, we loosen the grips, we loosen the ties to this earth. Every gift given in faith and compassion and love is a proclamation. Every dollar I give away, every moment I give away, every bit of my life that I give away, not for my purposes, but for the good of, for God's purposes and for the sake of others, is a proclamation that this world is not my home, that my citizenship is in heaven, that Christ is my treasure, that his love is better than life, that I will seek first his kingdom, that I am no longer a slave to this world, but I'm free. My heart belongs to Christ alone. Practically, let's go through a few things. Like, what does it look like to develop giving as a practice of our life so that we are free from the things of this earth and tied to God's heavenly kingdom? And just practically, let, let me go through a few questions. How much do I have to give? All of you are like, oh no. How much do I have to give? And, and I want you to hear this with absolute clarity. You don't have to give anything. That is the scandal of God's grace. That God gave everything when you gave nothing. Do you understand me? God's love is not for sale at all. Like, if you give more, God won't love you more. And if you give less, God won't love you less. It's not for sale. Some of you are like, amen. Let's close right there. <laughs> this is not about money. This is about your heart. So how much should you give? Well, you need to give until your heart's free. You need to give until you've made it clear to your own heart, to your own self, that you love God more than yourself, that you love others as yourself, that you need to give until you're sure that you would never choose your stuff over following Christ, ever, ever. That if Christ were before you and said, give away everything and come follow me, you'd say, yes. And if you aren't sure of that, what's pulling at your heart? Historically, Christians have practiced what's called tithing. If you didn't grow up in church, let me explain. Tithe literally just means tenth. It's an Old Testament practice where a tenth of your income, a tenth of everything, was to be set aside for the Lord. It was officially declared the Lord's. And in fact, if you spin it on yourself or didn't give it to God, he said, you're robbing him. It was his, period. And using that, it's a little bit more complex than this, but you get the basic idea there. He, he said, you're acknowledging that everything that you receive is actually the Lord's to start with. 
That 10% is just a representative of the everything, every link I have is not my own. This is not my own. It's his to use as he wants. And if he chooses to take it away, he can. The upside of tithing is that it creates a discipline of systematically cutting the lines in our lives. Systematically, with every dollar I get, 10 cents is going to tell me, this money is really not mine. This money is really not mine. This money is really not mine. The downside to tithing is that it can lead to legalism. That you can convince yourself, I can convince myself, that if I give Jesus 10%, he'll leave the rest alone. That's just not true. (laughs) Jesus wants it all. Remember, I'm not talking about your money. I'm talking about your heart. But when he gets your heart, he's going to get your money and everything else, isn't he? The tithe is supposed to remind us that every dollar, every moment, everything we do and have and invest in belongs to God. It's not supposed to create a false boundary that there's 10% is God's and 90% is mine. That's the Old Testament model, tithing. And I say Christians have historically practiced it. The New Testament model is Mark chapter 12. Jesus is sitting there in the temple with his disciples and he sees a bunch of people coming in, throwing money in the coin thing. They're giving big offerings. And then he sees a little widow come in and throw in two pennies. And what does Jesus say? He calls over his disciples and says, come here guys, you've you got to see this. You've got to see this. This is, this is awesome. Stop what you're doing. Look at this. This little widow, I tell you truly, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. She gave out, they gave out of their, their wealth, but she gave out of her poverty, put in everything she has to live on. Guys, you know what I want you to see right here, Jesus is saying? That this woman actually trusts God more than money. Can you believe it? That this widow actually trusts God for her life everything for her food for her necessities that she's not just giving as like oh an afterthought like yeah i should do that it's like when it costs her everything she's going to double down on god every time that with that gift she's proclaiming god is my hope not money this world is not my my home like this is not my treasure my treasure is is god and his kingdom sacrificial, hazardously sacrificial giving. That is the New Testament standard. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. The Apostle Paul makes it clear, though. Each one of us must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Two more questions. So, The Bible says at least 10%, but really it's about sacrificial giving and it's really about your heart. Only you and God can decide how much you need to give. The next question is, do I have to give it all to the church? And I obviously have a stake in this this argument, so let me be as objective as I can. If you read through the Old Testament where God clearly lays out how you're supposed to give, there were three things that the tithe went for. One was the temple worship and the whole temple system, so the priests, the Levites, everything that they would do for the central act of worship. And I do think there's some correspondence, not perfect, but there's some correspondence with the church there. All right? So there's something there to say that Yes, you should be giving to the church. If you're a member of GVF, you've committed to help sustain our ministries. All right? But there were two other things that were involved in the Old Testament tithe. Every three years, the tithe was to go to support—it was for compassion. 
for orphans, widows, those who are local, locally in poverty. That we should be giving to compassion needs. And the last thing that was part of it was celebration. And this is something that is, especially in evangelical churches, has really been lost, and we need to recuperate this. Greg Hythe is going to lead the way on this, I can tell. That part of the tithe is you collected all of this money that you were going to bring into Jerusalem, and you were to buy party supplies. There's no other way to say it. Deuteronomy you were to buy party supplies, the best stuff you could possibly do, and you were to share it liberally because you were to get together and celebrate God and His greatness. You were to cook leg of lamb and, and have the best of the best of everything to celebrate God. That It was this great, giant, celebratory act of worship, and that was part of your gift. That was God's money, not yours. So I would encourage you, at least with those three things. It, like I said, if you're a member of GBS, we ask that you, you do support our work. But l- let me just say this very, very clearly. Some people don't like churches. If, if you don't feel comfortable giving to the church, don't let that be your excuse. I can tell you a list of great, worthy causes to give to. We, the elders of GBF, actually have a goal in this next year that we want to move more and more towards you individually supporting our missionaries, our global missionaries. Do you know why? Because we're hoping to tie your heart to God's global mission. That's what we want. We want you to personally tie your heart, not just us as a church doing it. We want you to find a missionary that you love, that you connect with, that you're going to send your money to every month, and every month that tether is going to strengthen. Last question, and then we'll close. I don't have any money. What am I supposed to do? I'm in horrible debt. My, my finances are a wreck. What am I supposed to do? Saturday, November 1st, our own Blaine Blantz, who works, helps advise people on finances, is going to be offering a seminar. You should go to that. You should figure out your finances. You should work with Blaine. You should work with others in the church, and we should figure that out because your personal finances can actually wreck your heart. They they can lead to depression and all kinds of other problems, all kinds of anxiety, stress. They can destroy your relationships both with God and the world. You need to get get control of that. But the other thing I want to say, and I want to be perfectly clear, you can be poor and generous. You can be generous with your time. You can be generous with what you do have. Jesus was generous, and he owned nothing. He gave his life. And you can give your life too. Church, imagine a life of freedom. I want you to just close with this. I want you to imagine you're on that road and Jesus comes up to you and he looks at you and he loves you. What are, what are the ropes on your heart right now that are tying you to this world, that are dragging you down, that are stopping you from going where Jesus is asking you to go? What are the things that are stopping you from following him, from living in full freedom right now? Imagine letting go of those. Imagine that with every gift you give, and I don't care if it's to our church or to a missionary or to the poor or to the orphans or to the next mission team or whatever you give it to, or just give it to a friend. Let go of it. Get rid of it. So that you can proclaim, this world is not my home. 
My citizenship is not here, it's in heaven. Christ is my treasure. Christ is my treasure. He is my life. His love is better than life. I will seek first his kingdom. I am not a slave to this world. I am free. Because my heart belongs to Christ alone. Let's be generous. Father, I pray, Lord, that as we look at Christ's example, God, I pray that that freedom for our church Lord, I pray that the wealth that you've given us as a church and our community, Lord, that that would not be a burden that drags us down, Lord, but that would be an opportunity to spread your fame and your glory that everyone who looks at us would say, who are these people who have wealth but live as if it means nothing to them, that are willing to give it up, give up everything for this God? How great must Jesus Christ be if they're willing to give up their lives their possessions for him. Jesus, you're worth it. We pray this in your name. Amen.